Toledo. We're famous for Glass, Art Tatum, Tony Pacos, Jamie Farr, a world-class museum, the Toledo Mud Hens and Wildlife, an outstanding zoo and public library system. But who are the people that make our city so great? Welcome to the Soul of the Glass City podcast. I'm your host, Monique. Welcome, 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 everyone. My special guest for today is Lesharde Scott, President and CEO of Scott Center for Observation, Treatment, and Transition. Mrs. Scott serves as the director of the Sickle Cell Project of Northwest Ohio. How are you today, Lesharde? I'm fine. And yourself? Oh, I'm great. I'm glad to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. So this super dynamic woman I have in the studio today has a lot that she's accomplished, and I'm so grateful that she's taken the time out of her busy schedule to join me. Girl, where are you originally from, and what brought you to Toledo? Was it family, school, or your work? So I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. Of course, my family brought me this way. My husband, actually. So you came here to work? Yeah. Um, orig- like I said, originally I moved here because of my husband. He attended uh, school out here, and it was the best decision for me to move from Detroit to the Toledo area. Um, what What's better about us than Detroit? Now, my, my spouse is from Detroit, so I can't, <laughs> you know what I mean? But where I reside is, you know, it's peaceful. It's it's not what I'm, what I've grew up around. The hype of your city, right? Absolutely. <laughs> See, we got some good things going. <laughs> you originally won the 20 Under 40 Awards, and I was actually in the audience when you won, sitting right there in the front, like second row. And I was really excited for you. I, I, I couldn't, like, tell you how good it felt to see someone that looked like me sitting right there on the stage with 20 other people that are some of the most brightest minds in the city. So how did you feel when you were selected, and did you think you were going to win? So, no, I did not think I was going to win. I didn't even tell my family I was nominated. Um, Why not? only person that knew was my husband and my kids. <laughs> Why well, you were just like, if I win, I win. If I don't, they'll never know. Well, the thing was, I really had no expectation. I mean, I think sometimes it's hard for me to, like, really see the work that I actually put out. But when they call, when they started to call the uh, or read out the bio, my husband said, they talking about you. I said, nah, anybody can be doing uh, infant mortality. Like... <laughs> I'm like, there's a lot of a lot of organizations that are doing that. And then they said the sickle cell part. And I instantly was like, did you get what? like the tingle? In your, in your I just skin? He, like... t- he told me you better not cry. So I was like, OK, I don't think I don't think you cried. I, th- I don't think I, I did. Tears. You were sitting there like just like, oh, my I was God. shocked. I, I could I could tell. And we were very happy for you. Thank you. What inspired you to be an advocate and champion for those with sickle cell? So I have. Four amazing boys and two of my boys, um, they are thriving with sickle cell disease. They are soon to be nine and eight, so they're 16 months apart. And at one point, I went into secondary education, but once I found their diagnosis, found out their diagnosis, um, I changed my field to social work because I knew that I would always be in advocacy mode um, for my children. It's there's nothing greater than a mother's love. And to say that you switch careers to be there for your boys, that's really deep. And I'm very honored to know you because I can't say that everybody would do the same thing. But I know that that is what good mothers do. And you are an amazing mother for that. Thank you. 
you developed a manual called the Oral Health Management in Sickle Cell Patients in collaboration with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. How did that come about? (laughs) So everything is interconnected. Anything that I do, it literally has to align with my mission and values. I have posed the question because there are certain things when um, sickle cell patients go and get just a teeth cleaning, they have to consult with their hematologist. And I said, there's nothing out here that says this. Where is this information located? Like, how would I know as a mom or, or caregiver, how, where would I find this information? Or who's educating us on these things? So, of course, I said, well, if it's not out there, I'm going to create it. Um, and that's pretty much how it came about. I reached out to um, CDC and asked them would they back it up, you know, or at least collaborate with me to come come up with these ideas. Um, so that's pretty much how it is. And then I will go and educate the uh, dentist office around the Toledo area to make sure that we were all on the same page. How long did that take, like, reaching out to the CDC, actually getting their permission to write a manual? Like, how long did that take? At least a year. Wow. It's, it's about a year or two. This is prior to COVID, so. When was it actually published, and how will we find it? Um, so it should be on the CDC's website. But I, I'm i going to say right before COVID. So I started in 2018, and it was completed in 2019. That is amazing. Very, very amazing. Um, So what are the greatest challenges that those with sickle cell struggle with the most, and how can we best support a friend or a loved one who has it? Now, you just tapped into a whole world. I opened the gates. The doors, yes. (laughs) Um, So let me be clear. I am not a sickle cell warrior, but I always ask my my warriors what are their challenges or what are their barriers. So what has been told to me is the treatment in the ER. They are stigmatized. Um, they're seen as drug seekers, liars. When the reality is these patients know their bodies better than doctors. They know the pain that they're dealing with and how that works. So typically if they come to the hospital, it's because they are out of all options at home. They have done the hot baths and medicines. I mean, they have a lot of those things at home, like narcotics. So it's definitely not drug-seeking. Less than 1% of patients are drug-seeking. Um, but that is the biggest misconception um, in the ER is that they're drug-seeking. And then they're, like I said, just having that stigmatization from medical staff it keeps them from wanting to even come and get the services. So a lot of times they're using cannabis or things, you know, other other outlets. Um, so that is one. Two, I always pose the question, and this is just being transparent. If you're starting children on Percocet, and this is just a personal, this is, this is me speaking as a parent. If you start a child at eight, nine years old on Percocet, what do you think is going to take place when they turn 21, 22, you know? And then there's no transition of care for sickle cell patients, hence why I went for my doctorate to create this, which Scott came out of. So now I'm going to be helping patients navigate from pediatric to adult care. So those are the things that are, like, the biggest challenge, if we really had to think about it. 
And that is what the Scott Center does. I'm I'm assuming that is everything in a, in a nutshell yeah. of what the Scott Center does. That is so deep and dynamic, the things that, you know, sickle cell warriors go through and the fact that you're there to support them. Speaking of that, tell us more about the Scott Center and how you started it and, you know, what you do there. I, we want to know it all. As I stated, I am um, currently a, can- a doctoral candidate. When do you graduate, by the way? <laughs> May 3rd. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started my nonprofit through a logic model from a course that I took in, in school. And I looked at all of the barriers or the things that the services that I could provide from pediatric to adult care, because that is what my, my dissertation is about, uh, transitioning patients from pediatric to adult care with sickle cell disease. And I said, it doesn't exist anywhere. Like, this is a no-brainer. So um, in 2022, I um, I started, I went and registered the business, and we didn't even have a building at the time. Um, so I was doing all of these things mobile, but the the mission was to make sure that the Toledo area or all of Northwest Ohio, so I cover 11 counties, that they are receiving these services. And I created a transition model with a former doctor that was from this area. And I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to make sure that we are working with the hospitals to create, you know, a program that actually works and what that looks like from pediatric to adult care, because we know that there's a scarcity of adult hematologists, unfortunately, and this is worldwide, it's not just a Toledo thing. But the reality is, I wanna make sure that patients are educated, families are educated, um, anyone that's taking care of the services of these patients and just knowing, so that's on a medical level, educational level, as far as like schooling, as well as um, just taking taking care or taking ownership of their own care. Because when you transition from pediatric to adult care, it's, you're, you're also transitioning rather that person is going to college. So now they have, not only are they having to deal with the new, you know, the new experience of being an adult, you got your health care, you got all these things, you know, nobody's doing it anymore. Your parents are not doing it anymore for you. So what does that look like? And a lot of times patients, they die between 18 to 25 because there's no wraparound to show them how to do those things. You know, you have a great point. And I'm, I'm pretty sure there's some, like, embarrassment and shame, like, you know, being an adult and not knowing that you could talk to people about it. Um, I actually have a friend who has sickle cell who's grown, who I, I was at a show with him and his hand was shaking, and I didn't know what was wrong. And I remembered that he told me that he had it, and uh, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, do you need something to eat? Do you need something to drink? I didn't know, like, how to help him. And he, he said, yeah, if you could just give me something to eat. And I was like, wow, like, I wish I knew more so that I can help him, you know, because he needed my help at that moment. And I think the food helped, and I'm not sure if that's one of the things that they need to do is eat. I don't know, but that's what I thought I needed to do at the time. Well, I don't know what he was possibly experiencing, but I do know that water plays a huge role in um, any of us, even if you didn't yeah, have sickle yeah, cell. But yeah. <laughs> more importantly, in sickle cell patients, they should definitely be drinking plenty of water because that 
helps, you know, keep that blood flowing and not being rigid or sticky. And that, you know, that's typically where the pain episodes or crisis, as we say, well, take I, place. I know my friend don't drink a lot of water, so I'm going to call him as soon as we're done and say, I hope you're drinking your water, okay? Yes. <laughs> Well, I am so glad that we were able to sit down and you were able to share these things with us. I can talk to you for days. I'm just letting you know. I really want to know more. And I'm sure everybody that's listening probably would love to pick your brain about these things. But if they need to find you, I'm sure they will. (laughs) Thank you again for, for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm your host and producer, Monique. My executive producer is Chris Pfeiffer. Join me next time for another exciting episode of Soul of the Glass City podcast. For more information, if you have questions or comments, go to wgte.org forward slash soul. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by the American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission. For more information about the Voices Around Us podcast project, please visit WGTE.org. You may also listen to all Voices Around Us podcasts at WGTE.org VAU, the WGTE app, or wherever you get your podcasts online.